Good morning. Welcome once again to Valley Lights Church. I'm glad to see you're all here. Thanks very for letting us know about all those things coming up. My name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor here at Valley Lights, and I'm excited you're here today. I'm excited to gather, and I'm excited for what we're going to look at. Before we jump into today's message, I do want to highlight a couple things to let you know about a few things. Um, first, Barry just mentioned about Easter, and that's going to be coming up. So it's four Sundays from today, or four weeks from today. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then your eternity has been changed forever because of what Jesus did. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means at one point in your life was you were headed towards eternal death and separation from God forever, and you were stuck going that direction. You couldn't get off that track until Jesus came into your life and you were able to get off that track and get onto a totally new track called, I'm going to spend eternity with Christ and Jesus forever. And uh, that's what we celebrate on Easter. That's why Easter is such a big deal. Um, our, our lives now and our eternities have been changed forever because of God's incredible love. So we're going to talk about that in a very compelling way on Easter. And it really, it's going to be a message, what we talk about on Easter Sunday is a message that people desperately need to hear. And so I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to just take a second, as we're, you know, about a month away, I wanted you to think about some people that you could, you might consider inviting to come join us for church on Easter Sunday. And so think of, I'm going to, if, if, you're, if you're up for doing a quick brainstorm, get ready to write down a name or two. So think of somebody that you can invite to Easter that would be an easy invite. So think of somebody who in your life, well, who would be an easy, like, oh yeah, they'd, they'd probably come if I asked them. Okay, think about that person and write their name down on your paper. Okay, who would that be? All right, now, now think of somebody that you could invite to Easter that would be a stretch. And you're like, ooh, man, I don't know. I don't know if they would, what they would say. I'm not sure if they'd want to come. Think about that person and write their name down on your paper. So you might, you might have two names of people that you could invite. Now imagine. Imagine if everyone in the room right now, which this is probably about, this is probably about 50 people, imagine if all 50 of us brought two more people on Easter Sunday to hear the life-changing, eternity-changing message of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That would be amazing. So. That's what I'm excited about, the opportunity, because people come to church on Easter more likely than really any other Sunday of the year. And so I want to take a minute, and uh, I'll, I, I want to start with a word. Of, I want to pray for that, pray for Easter and the people that you're going to invite. And then I want to actually pray for one other family in our church right now. Um, James and Caitlin Jones had a fire in their house last night. So uh, James is a guy who he normally plays guitar. In fact, he was supposed to play guitar today, but they're, <laughs> they're not here. But they had a fire in their house in their bedroom, and um, their whole bedroom is in ash right now. But fortunately, um, the police and fire department were able to come and get that taken care of. Um, we're neighbors, so we had their kids stay with us last night. And so um, I think they're figuring that out. I don't, know, I don't know exactly what the need will be. There may be some opportunity for us to serve them or help them or uh, even give them resources and getting all that figured out. Um, but it was, it was an electrical problem that uh, happened last night while they were gone. So, so I want to pray for Easter, the people you're going to invite, and also the Jones family. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this morning. And uh, for those of us that have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we are so grateful that you have changed our eternal direction forever. 
And uh, I'm really excited, Lord. And together as a body, we're, we're getting excited about the chance to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. And so I pray for those people that uh, are those names that might be written down on papers right now, that you would stir hearts, cause people to be uh, warmly receptive to an invitation to church, and that you'd use us, Lord, to help many more people experience new life in Christ. I pray also for um, James and Caitlin, that you'd help them to uh, navigate the next few days or however long it takes to get things figured out with the house, and I pray that you provide all the resources they need, Lord, um, to, to bring their household back in order. Thank you very much for the safety and protection that you provided for them and that the fire didn't spread. We thank you also for a um, very responsive uh, police and fire department that was able to prevent uh, any further damage happening. And so we're thankful, Lord, for the way you care for us, and we thank you for this service this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One other fun update I wanted to share with you is we got, our church got a new truck. So the Lord has provided a way for us to purchase a strong truck that at a very low cost that has enabled us to pull our trailer on Sundays. And so what we do is all the stuff that you see, TV, equipment, chairs, pipes, kids stuff, all of that fits into one trailer. And then we park the truck and the trailer at a church in town that lets us use their space for free during the week and um, it's so so just this is just like the back end logistical side of making a church go this is just technical stuff but i've actually been really excited about the truck that got provided and that we're able to use it in this every step you know every time we take a step forward to grow the church god provides what we need and i want to let you know about that because it's 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 there's so many ways that he provides for us and this is just this is just practical stuff so um and this afternoon about a month ago, I had uh, let you know that we, da- we, I said, we damaged the trailer. Actually, I damaged our trailer, <laughs> and um, I hit a parking structure with it. And so we're going to start. Some guys are going to help start the repair project this afternoon, which involves um, aluminum shaping and welding and riveting, probably. And so um, praise God for also the people that God has provided in our church that have experience and knowledge and availability to help us with things. So. I'm excited about that. And um, now, now I want to jump in today's message. We're in a message series called Triggered. And this is a series all about emotions. So we started this last week. We started talking about emotions. And I want to, you know, it's, I want to, since it's emotions, I want to ask you, how, how did you feel about it? <laughs> how did you feel about your emotions? God has a lot to say about the strong emotions and the desires that live in every one of us. God created us to have lots of emotional experiences, and it adds a lot of delight and color and excitement to life. But sometimes our emotions lead us off track. Sometimes our emotions lead us away from God's original design for how life is supposed to work. I think there's a lot of people in our world today that think emotions need to be expressed that whatever you feel you just need to let it out there don't bottle it up you should you should never suppress your feelings there's maybe there's maybe a spectrum of things you should express or shouldn't express but the truth is people who just always let their emotions run with no restraint live very hard lives it doesn't go great if everything we feel we just express right off the bat We're actually supposed to control our emotions and our desires 
We're not supposed to be ruled by them. Boy, boy, our desires, those things in us, they, they want to, they want to, our emotions and desires want to direct our life. And sometimes we want to be directed by how we feel. But we can't be ruled by them. And so, last week was somewhat of an, an overview of emotions and how they work. And starting today and for the next few weeks, we're going to look at a specific emotion each week. And today we're going to talk about anger. Anger is one of these emotions that we have all experienced. Anger can come on quick. It can intensify fast. Every person in this room, we're all capable of doing a lot of damage in a very short amount of time if our anger escalates. Some of us are physically strong. Some of us have loud voices. There's different ways we can damage each other and our relationships and stuff. We can, we can cause damage to, I mean, actually maybe breaking stuff is bad, but, but damaging our relationships is even worse. I might do and say things that, man, now I can't take back because in the heat of the moment, I said something I shouldn't have said. So I want to show you a video clip showing some of the triggers that we tend to face. So whenever you get angry, some, something happens. You probably don't just walk around stewing, smoldering. Something, so usually there's a trigger, and I wanna look at some of the triggers. So this video will help us uh, look at some of the things that set off some anger. So go ahead and check this out. Ooh, I don't know, that Irish cream sounds good, huh? What's that? Uh, it's cream, it's, uh, it's Irish. Hurry up and order! Excuse me, thank you. Um, how about a smoothie? What's in that? Smoothie's a juice drink. We want coffee. Buddy, relax. No, you relax. I'm a regular here. This line needs to move. I beg your pardon. Do you have scones? Tall, non-fat, double latte. Sir, you're in the back of the line. I recognize that. Cut it out or you're out of here. You can't kick me out. You know you're, you're really invading my ear space? Look, if I'm a... <laughs> <laughs> When he's 40 to 1. He almost put me in the red. Well, did he? Look, we had a plan. He found me, Tom. What am I supposed to do? He cut me off. He found me! Son. Son. What are you so mad at? Practice. Now go on, play. Oh, Dad, 
George, why must you torture the children? Why don't you? All right, there's a little montage. It started out kind of fun and silly, and it got kind of serious and intense at the end there. Different movie clips of anger getting expressed in different ways. So, and, I'm, and we're going to evaluate those clips in just a second, but let me show you a few triggers that appear in these films and it probably have appeared in your life. For one, anger, our anger gets triggered whenever we feel hurt or offended in a relationship. That's one, tr one, one trigger. Sometimes you get offended, maybe you're really mad, you're mad by it, or maybe you're, you're just hurt so much that that makes you mad. Another trigger is when I'm being denied what's due me. Like right now I should be getting respect and I'm not. Or right now I should be getting adequate compensation and I'm not getting that, I'm being denied that, I'm being blocked. Or maybe I feel like I should be getting rest <laughs> and that's getting blocked and now I feel mad about that. So whenever we're denied things. Another trigger is when someone is blocking my goals. Uh, Someone's interfering. I, I, I have something I'm trying to get, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to accomplish, and someone's just interfering and getting in my way, and I'm mad about that. Another reason we get, another trigger for us often is uh, when people break the rules. Like, wait, no, they, they can't be doing that. Like, no, no, you, you, can't, you can't cut in front of the line. You can't, no, this is not how it works. Now I'm mad. Or maybe a last trigger is we get angry when other people are angry at us. So like, wait a minute, you're angry at me? No, now I'm mad at you. You can't be mad at me. Not, I, that just makes me angry that you're angry. So there's all these different triggers that we have. I'm not sure if, the, did the, are the slides working at all? Sweet, go back to the triggers if you can, if they're on there. Sometimes they give complicated PowerPoints. There's a bunch of triggers, because I want to look at them with the, oh yes, beautiful, thank you very much. Anger, there's different ways that we, that we get triggered, our, our anger gets triggered. And so, in the first video clip, the coffee line. Will Ferrell is from the movie Kicking and Screaming. Which was the trigger, why was he so mad, do you think? Somebody throw it out there. He's being denied what's due him, he felt he deserved coffee. His goals were being blocked. Oh my goodness, how long is it gonna take to get coffee? All right, so he's, he's mad. They're, uh, oh, and then, then they got mad at him. So now you're, they're mad at me, now I'm mad at you, okay. And the other, the other movie was from Seabiscuit. Tobey Maguire is a horse jockey, and he got cut off in that movie. Um, for him, which was it? Why was he so mad, do you think, if he got cut off by somebody? Yeah, they, yeah, got offended. I think they think that other uh, horse jockey broke the rules. It was infuriating, you can't do that. He's like, what am I supposed to do? And then what about the other movie, George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life? Why was he so mad? It's a good question. That's a good question. Probably, probably a variety of things. You know, if you saw the whole movie, you can see. He, well, he just—he was kind of on a bit of a rampage. There's probably a lot of things stirring him up. And you know, when you think about um, the damage, you know, an angry person starts causing a lot of problems for themselves, and they start causing damage to other people too. And you—you you really do get a taste of that in, in the George Bailey clip. And I'm actually sad to admit that that video clip with him and with his family in the living room strikes uncomfortably close to home for me because I can, think, I can think of times when I'm feeling irritated by somebody in the house 
And then all of a sudden, everyone else in the house is making me feel really irritated. Just every little thing they're doing, uh, the noise or just the, the, the movement. I've, I feel like I've, I've lived that scene. And, you know, I had mentioned last week, there, there's, there was a time when I stormed out of the house in anger after, after an argument. And I slammed the door so hard that the walls shook. And I was glad about it because I wanted, I wanted my anger to be known and felt. And... It took a lot of time and humility to repair the damage done from an angry outburst like that. So what happens? We get angry. The best of us get angry and frustrated, and we express it perhaps in different ways. But anger can damage and destroy a lot of things. It can damage our health. You can just, it can cause, it actually can cause physical problems, anxiety, high blood pressure, can damage relationships, anger can damage property. You just, you just drive in a reckless way or knock stuff over. It can damage families. It can actually damage your future as well. So I wanna show you another story from the Bible where we see God's response to an angry outburst and some of the painful consequences that come from it. So I'm gonna read to you a portion from the book of Numbers, chapter 20. And this is a story about Moses, the leader of Israel at the time. They're in the desert. It's not enough water. Everyone's really thirsty. They feel like they're dying of thirst. And so, and here's what it says in verse 20. I'm just going to read this to you. The entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. In verse 2, it says, There was no water for the community, so they assembled against Moses and Aaron. So they're against their leaders, the community. So there's, there's probably some anger brewing here already. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, If we only had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord, why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us in our livestock to die here? It's a real encouraging bunch of followers there. <laughs> so they say, they say to Moses, why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain, figs, vines, and pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and they fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses. He says, take, your, take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water from, for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So they, this whole community is really upset and they're grumbling and actually really, really coming against their leader, Moses and Aaron. And God's like, no, I'm about to do a miracle. You guys are going to see. Well, I will provide what's needed. You guys are not going to die here. And Moses, he took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. And uh, by the way, I think probably at this, this is, there's probably some anger brewing in Moses at this point, I would, I would guess, by the way, because, you know, these people, Moses sacrificed a lot to lead these people. They've, been, they've actually had a history of being really difficult followers, and here they are, they're just so indignant, so they're, they're, they're not even being rational. When they're talking about we should be in Egypt still, they were in slavery. Moses risked his life to help get them out of slavery. And now they treat him like this. They, they come against him. 
as if he's the one that's in charge. God is the one in charge, and they're just trying to be faithful to what God is doing. And, and here he is being denied the respect, the rightful respect that he should have as a leader. They're angry at him, and actually they're the ones breaking God's rules. There's, like, there's probably all the triggers happening for Moses at this point. And I would guess, now that Moses knows that God's going to do something amazing here, He's probably relieved, but I would, I, it doesn't say this, but I'm guessing he's probably still angry. He's like, okay, God's going to show them, but these, these people, actually, you'll see what he calls them in a second. But Moses got some anger bubbling below the service. It says, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, he says, listen, you rebels. <laughs> Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff so that abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. So what happens is they got water because Moses struck the rock twice with his staff. What God told him, though, was to speak to the rock, not to do this. So actually... Now Moses has a problem because he, he didn't obey carefully what God had said. He actually disobeyed what God wanted to do in front of everybody. And so God deals with Moses first. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, um, Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. And so Moses Moses what I think, he really uh, vented his anger and was not careful to obey God, and now he's got a pretty severe punishment. He was supposed to lead the, all these people into the promised land, but it was going to be good, and there's going to be blessing, and abundant food and drink, and now Moses doesn't get to go in. And if you read the story, it, it, that is what happened. Moses dies in sight of the promised land, but never gets to go in himself because of what he just did. That's tragic. It's like, man, after all he did, that was right. He, he got himself into a lot of trouble. And in, in uh, this last verse here, in 13, it says, I have this one written on the screen, um, what it says about the Israelites. It says, these are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and he demonstrated his holiness to them. The waters, that, that spring that's there, the word Meribah means quarreling. And so they, it's now a reference to what happened there. And what's interesting is it says that the people quarreled with the Lord. Wasn't it Moses that they quarreled with? Well, this is how God takes it. He's, then they quarreled with the Lord, even though it was through the leader. This really shows you that when you do argue with leaders in your life, people that God has put in place, that means you're really arguing with God. He's the one that, he's the one that puts every leader in every position, whether they're Christian or not. God puts them there. So if you've ever felt anger with any leaders in your life, if they're good ones or they're bad ones, God takes that personally. So we really have to be careful. The consequence for Moses' expression of anger was really heavy. Instead of choosing faith and obeying exactly, it appears that Moses let his emotions sit in the driver's seat. So how about you? Have you ever had moments of letting anger take the driver's seat? Is there any damage in your relationships because of unchecked anger? In anger, we might say things that I might terminate. I, might, I, might just, I just might break a relationship with a person that was very dear in anger. Or 
Maybe I smash a family heirloom that's worth thousands of dollars, property damage, that's irreparable. Or, you know, we might impulsively resign from a job without another job to go to, or drive recklessly and total a car. There's all kinds of trouble we can get ourselves into with anger. So let me show you a chart that kind of demonstrates a flow that maybe you've experienced. So this is called the anger elevation. This is from uh, one of my mentors, Harold Bullock. This was part of a conference we went to in November. But basically what happens here is um, there's this, this elevation. So if you look at this black word on the bottom left, it's, we just start at where we start out, sometimes we get annoyed. And that's where this starts. You can suppress annoyance. Maybe you're like, oh man, you just feel a little ticked. I can suppress that. But then maybe it doesn't go away and now you feel frustrated. Okay, now I'm trying to deal with it, but my goals are getting blocked or I just can't let go of that offense. And it's not, m me suppressing this isn't working. And many people at this stage, the frustration, they tend to go passive aggressive. Ugh, I don't like you right now. And I just go, it just kind of goes beneath the surface. Um, actually, fun, fun side note, at Life Group this past week, we were talking about emotions because of this series. And um, I said, like, what, what's an emotion that you felt this week? And a lot of people use the word frustration and at work. And so a lot of people in our group felt frustrated at work. This is normal, common human experience, but it, it can escalate beyond that. So what, what might come next is getting exasperated. And if you feel exasperated, you might outburst, like George Bailey, just like, oh, you're saying things like, oh, he's stupid, or like, man, I, just saying things like threats. You might raise your voice, you might yell or scream. Beyond that, we get argumentative. This is when the quarreling begins. We just read about quarreling. There's, now there's back and forth. And things are getting very emotional. Things are getting ugly. Remember that word, you know, Meribah is where the place of quarreling. That's what happened. And when you, when you start getting into this argumentative thing, there's probably nothing productive happening at that point. Go beyond that, it gets to bitter. And it, a lot of anger happens, and now bitterness comes in, and uh, it might be outraged still, but now it, I might get to the point where I'm stewing, and I'm sulking, and I'm smoldering. And some people, when they, when they get it, they might be real loud, but some people stew below the surface. And at this stage, um, there's a pretty high level of intensity. The emo Actually, if you look at this right-hand side, this, these are all, this is increasing in emotional intensity. It starts at the lower levels, I feel bothered. But then at these higher stages, I start getting fueled by my anger. There's like, there's this stoking that happens. These, the real highest levels though, is where the anger not only fuels me, it controls me. It's in the driver's seat now, not me. So vengeful, when we get vengeful, then we, then we want to undermine the other person. I'm gonna start plotting payback. I'm so mad, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll show her. Oh, I'll, I'll make sure that he knows what he did. I'm, I'm willing to be hurtful and damaging, and I'm getting, I'm getting ready to do it. This is a dangerous point for us to be at. Vengeance is a face-on insult to God. Again, because he's the one that sets up relationships and leaders. This is a real dangerous thing for us to, when we get ready to pay people back. And again, it could be physical, but it could be emotional. It could be with words. It could be withdrawing. It could be insults. There's all kinds of ways that we do this. And then furious. When you're furious, you're in attack mode. The gloves are off. At this stage, again, it could, it could be verbal the whole time. 
even in this mode, but it can definitely get physical at this point too. George Bailey got physical. He, just, he started smashing things in his own house. We can even hurt people physically when we get to this stage. And you don't have any guarantee of what's gonna happen because at this point, anger is in control. It is controlling us. So notice the scale. Notice how the starting point is just feeling bothered or annoyed. Anger fuels and then it controls. And you can't, when you, when you get to fury or rage, you can't control it. You can't be rageful and in control. I don't know if you've ever felt a boost of energy from anger. There's almost like this extra feeling of power that, that you can get when like get angry. I'm like, I, I suddenly feel more like I can do some damage and I feel the energy. And I feel like I, I can say that thing and you know what? No one's gonna stop me. It actually, I was thinking about this illustration because you know how we just got a truck. I love driving trucks. It's a similar thing when you drive a truck. When guys drive trucks, they feel more powerful. <laughs> so imagine, imagine a guy in a truck. You're like, man, especially the bigger the truck, the louder the engine, you're just driving around like, yes, like this is awesome. I feel so, like, you, you know, this, this truck gives me a sense of power. Anger has this same kind of impact where I feel like I'm going to inflict damage and nobody is going to stop me because I have the power to do it. And the vehicle is not a truck, the vehicle is anger and it's got a lot of horsepower. And the basic tendency of anger is, if, if it's anger intense or small or little, either way, the, the real basic response of anger at any level is to retaliate. The goal really is to hurt other people with mean looks and angry words, harsh tones, looks that could kill. Of all the emotions, anger, so we're gonna talk about different emotions, but this one, anger, probably has the greatest potential for damage. So watch out for those low levels of intensity where getting annoyed and frustrated, you might be starting yourself on a journey that will lead to a lot of problems. Watch out for those low levels. Actually, instead of a, a guy in a truck, I'll show you a picture that's a better representation of what anger is like. <laughs> it's actually more like you're trying to walk a dog that's way too big for you and it is dragging you down the street and you have no control. That's, that's, it feels like you're in the truck, but no, you're just getting pulled along, out of control. Like a huge, strong dog that's, that's pulling us along. And, and then we get really beat up in the process. And then, not, so, and that's not all, folks. <laughs> then this, the surge of anger often ends in discouragement. One of the goals of the enemy is for Satan and, and his demons is to stoke the flames of anger in your life so that he can set you up for discouragement. This is usually where the outburst ends. The elevation of anger, it flares up, but then it wears off, and now damage has been done, trust has been broken, people are hurt, and now that the intensity is gone, I'm left in a pile of discouragement about what just happened. Oh, man. This, this can lead to a very dark place where the enemy gains even more ground in our lives. I think the enemy sure likes seeing us angry, but he really likes getting us into a place of discouragement. This is, this is an emotion. If, if anger is the most damaging, discouragement and depression is probably the most life-destroying. And so we're going to talk more about that emotion in a couple weeks.
But this is, this is where being a follower of Jesus Christ makes all the difference. Without Jesus, we would be stuck as slaves to our sin, to our emotions, and to our desires. Anger itself isn't sin, but the damage that we do through anger or any other emotion is sin. And God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could first have a clear relationship with God. And then through his resurrection, Jesus gives us the power to overcome the patterns and the corruption that most of the world is stuck in. I get a lot of hope from Paul's letter to the Colossian church. In chapter 3, he writes this, You once walked in these things when you were living in them. He says, but now put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Those are, those are good descriptions of the kinds of things we get into with this emotion. He says, no, 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 You're, this is not you anymore. This is not for your life. This is not how you live. You put this stuff away. This should not characterize you anymore. So if you've decided to follow Jesus and you submit to him as your Lord, he's the boss of your life, you have the ability to not walk in things like anger and wrath and malice. And that's really because followers of Christ have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. He's the one that enables us and empowers us. We can't, we can't do this on our own. We are, we are stuck if without Jesus. And so we can ask and pray. We can ask God for help. And boy, have I needed his help. This, this emotion of anger... You know, sometimes I talk about topics that I don't know if I've had that much experience with. This is, this is a topic I feel like I've got a lot of experience to talk with because I have felt anger. I think men and, and women experience anger, but especially men deal a lot with anger. And it looks different for each guy, but man, I have needed... I, there's, there have been times that I felt totally helpless. I just, I, I don't know how to release this. I don't know how to let go of this. I don't know how to stop doing this. I don't know how to change how I feel. I've needed help from God. And I have, there have been times I, like, I don't think I can get any other help except through the resources that God provides. So, when our anger arises, if you don't want this to be a part of your life anymore, here's what you got to do. One thing that we have to do is we've got to restrain it. You feel the anger coming, maybe the, the bother or the annoyance or the frustration, the stewing. It needs to be restrained or it will lead to sin. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger itself is not a sin. So if you look at this verse, it's saying, Be angry and do not sin. So it's not saying that the second that you feel this emotion, you're in sin already. But boy, it can quickly lead to sin. So this is a really practical verse that commands us to resolve our anger before the sun goes down. We can release our anger to the Lord even if whatever we're dealing with can't be fully cleared up. It would be great if whatever is the anger-causing situation that you could fully resolve it. That doesn't always happen. But even if it doesn't fully get cleared up, you can release the anger. That, the, the, the full process of clearing up relationship may, may take more time. But regardless, don't go to bed stewing about it. Because there's a warning. Actually, the next verse is a warning. Actually, go to the next verse real quick, if you can. Yeah, resolved. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If we don't resolve the anger and release it, 
we're creating an opportunity for the devil. That word opportunity in the Greek, um, it, it actually can mean a space or like a location. Unresolved anger, especially when you go to bed at night, creates a space that the demonic can climb into and occupy. You don't, you don't want that. You don't want demons climbing in and taking up residence. This is this really our anger, and we just let it go? No, I'm just mad. I'm just going to stew about it. That's an invitation. You have just mailed an invitation to the enemy to gain entry and then influence in your life and then create even more problems. So it's not enough just to hold back our anger. You can see on your handout there, first we have to restrain it. We need to resolve it. But that's not enough. It needs to be exchanged. We need to give up the anger and take on something else instead. Our impulse to harm must be replaced with a willingness to do good. We've got to exchange it. Because anger, like I said, it's all about retaliating. Anger makes us, you know, I want to hurt. I want to, do, I want to do something to let them know how angry I am. That's really just an impulse to harm. We have to replace that with a desire to do good instead. James he writes that our initial response to being provoked should be, he says, everyone should be quick to, to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Generally, in our anger, we want to do the opposite. <laughs> Instead of being slow to speak, we're quick to speak, quick to argue, quick to say what we think and what we feel. We, we want to, usually want to be the ones doing the talking. We tend to be slow to hear other people out or slow to be understanding very quick to speak, and then very quick to get angry. So he's basically telling us to do the opposite of what comes really natural. So we've got to make this mental decision to do good, not to retaliate. In Romans 12, 21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Anger is one, you know, our, our sinful anger is one type of evil that can overcome us, but we can overcome it with good. And we do that by blessing people who make us mad. We can bless the people that curse or insult us. We can pray for people that are making our lives difficult. We can even minister and help the legitimate needs of our enemies. They might, they might feel like an enemy, but you can even minister and serve them. Anger motivates us to return hurt for the hurt that we felt, but Scripture calls us to calm down, reorient, in return good for evil. So, it's not enough to suppress anger. Remember the person being dragged along by a dog on a leash? If you try to hold back your anger, you get tired after a long time. Imagine you've got a big dog, and maybe you're in control for a little bit, and you're, it's just a monster of a dog, and it's pulling on that leash. After a while, you get tired of trying to hold that thing back. Anger's that way. You can, you can try real hard to suppress it. But you can't go on with it living inside of you. It has to be exchanged for something else. In Colossians, Paul writes about how we take off the dirty clothing of anger and wrath. We take that stuff off, we put it away, and instead we put on God's righteous clothing instead. And he writes in, in Colossians 3, we actually write a, a few verses from this chapter. This is the response to it. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. 
so you also must forgive and put on love. So compassion, that first one, the first thing that we put on, compassionate hearts. Compassion is when you look at a situation through their eyes. Maybe you feel really frustrated and upset, and it's just like, it's just so ridiculous that they're doing this. I can't believe they would say that or do that. You, we can decide to just go ahead and stand where they're standing m- mentally and just look at this situation for the, from their eyes. Like, well, I guess I can see why they would feel that way. It's really hard to do that. This is a really good thing to do if you're married. Sometimes you get so mad at your spouse, but you could just stand in your spouse's shoes and be like, look, I'll just look at the situation. Uh, it helps to be more understanding. If you're a parent, this is really helpful to do with your kids. Sometimes we get so frustrated by our kids that they drive us crazy sometimes. But what if, what if we just got down and looked at life through their two-year-old or maybe six-foot-tall, or no, no, maybe they're like four-foot-tall height and look at, the, look, at the, look at the world through their eyes and be like, this is, what it lo- this is what it's like to be you right now. Man, man, I see the world differently when I look at it through your eyes. It gives me compassion. Humility. Humility is refusing to act like I deserve better. Because sometimes we feel so angry because they're not giving me what I deserve. But humility says I actually don't deserve anything. I'm going to refuse to just act like I deserve that. Gentleness is critical. We've got to be gentle. Gentleness comes across in our words and also our tones and the way that we speak. We can say gentle words with a harsh tone. And so the whole thing just comes across harsh. (laughs) Patience is another thing. Patience is enduring the difficulty of that relationship without getting resentful. Because maybe the thing doesn't get resolved for a little while. Maybe you just have to endure it. That's why he says you got to put on patience. You may have to walk through the tension for some time, but you can't get resentful while you're waiting for it to get resolved. Forgiveness is refusing to hold things against people. Many times I have been angry, and I've thought, I'll let it go once we get this thing cleared up, and they, and they say that they ask for forgiveness. Without realizing it, I'm waiting for them to take responsibility before I forgive. And I was cor- corrected recently by the Lord. No, I, I have to just forgive. Whatever they do or don't do, we can get things cleared up. Maybe it will re- fully reconcile the relationship, but I can't wait for them, which is so tempting to just feel justified. I'm going to stay angry. No, we let it go. We put that off, and we choose to forgive. And actually, the motivation is right there in the verse. We forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven me. He forgave me. And even when I wasn't willing to confess my sins, God still forgave me. So forgiveness is a decision of the will. Actually, if you struggle with the area of forgiveness, that's actually a whole big package. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. That's a really hard thing. I can help you work through that if there's something you need help with. Jesus is our motivation to do this not the merit of the other person. If they're good people, that makes it easier, but it doesn't matter how good or bad they are. Jesus is the motivation. So when, when, if we're going to exchange our anger, feel angry, and we, we're like, okay, I can't hold on to that. I'm going to ta- do something different instead. That's really difficult to do. And what I'm suggesting, what the Bible is commanding, a lot of people don't do. It's really hard to do what we're talking about today. 
And so I want to show you a helpful tool that will help you in the process. There's this normal sequence for experiencing anger, and this is what it looks like. Usually we feel it, and then we might, we might decide what to do about it, and then we just express it. This is actually a template for most emotions. You feel it. So most people skip that middle step, and they just express it. I feel angry, boom. I'm going to say it, or I'm going to feel it, or I feel depressed, and I just wallow. Or I feel, I, I feel anxiety, and I just I freak out. I'm just, my heart rate's gone. I, so normally we just, we feel it, and then we just let the emotion take us wherever that emotion goes. There's a, there's a, there's a step in the middle. It's a really small one, <laughs> but with anger, um, most people are unaware that there's, it's, I would call it a tiny decision interval between the moment I start feeling an emotion and the time I begin expressing an emotion. There's a tiny interval, whether you believe it's there or not, it's there. We choose whether or not we express the emotion. Because this happens so fast, most of the time we think, I can't help it. I just felt the emotion. I just, but actually, every time we choose, we choose to walk in the emotion. So there's this tiny moment where we can make a decision to practice restraint. And if we fail to acknowledge that decision interval and we just impulsively respond, the actions that follow, will they be constructive or deconstructive? Will they bring blessing or damage? Maybe you'll decide in a, in a moment. You just respond right away. If, but un unless we manage our emotions wisely, these things will mess us up. So when you, when you realize that anger has begun, so let's just look practically at anger. Here's a tool that can be applied to all the emotions, but we'll look at anger today. First, this tool is called Hey, Say, Pray, Obey. And it's fun to say, hey, hey. <laughs> so hey, you feel, you feel anger. The first step is to say, hey, oh my gosh, I'm feeling, I feel frustrated. Okay, I just need to acknowledge I'm getting angry. I'm feeling my goals are getting blocked. Okay, first step is I just need to acknowledge that to myself. Okay, next step is say. It really helps to have a verse memorized. And for me, when I dealt most intensely with anger, I had, um, this, years ago I memorized Proverbs 29, 11, And it's a verse that says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. I know all about that kind of foolishness. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So I'd be in these moments where I feel, I'm like, oh man, I'm feeling angry. And then I would think of this, I would say this first because I had it memorized. And I'd say, I, I don't want to be a fool. And I know what happens when I give full vent to it. I, I, Lord, and this is actually the next step is pray. Now that I've said the verse, pray, Father, would you please help me? I need your help right now to deal with this emotion rightly. Will you help me do the right thing? Help me change from my desire to hurt and convert that to desire to help. Would you help me practice restraining self-control? Holy Spirit, would you work in my life right now? Hey, say, pray, and then obey. The last step in this is, now that I've said the verse, I know what God wants, and I've asked for his help, I have to walk in the right direction. I have to, first of all, refuse to hurt. I will not say that thing that I want to say. I will not do that. And I will do something helpful. 
I will do something constructive to that person. That's obedience. It's obedience to Christ. This is, a lot of this content, by the way, is, is taken, I mentioned, from a conference that we went to in November, also from some curriculum that we use um, from some folks in our church network that we even use in our kids' ministry as well. It kind of helps that it rhymes. It's kinda, it works great for kids, but guess what? It works great for adults, too. Hey, say, pray, obey. And so if you want to get a grip on anger, it is going to be a struggle. When it gets pumping, it's really hard to turn off. Turning from furious anger to compassionate forgiveness is really difficult. Normally, we just want to release the emotion and just let it direct us. But it will require determination and, and persistence in bringing it under control. Without a doubt, it is essential that we rely heavily on the Holy Spirit and we walk in Him daily so that the fruit of self-control can begin to grow in our lives. So let me give you a few next steps you might consider. Um, maybe you've already identified some things, some ways you can apply this this week. Here, here's a, a few more to consider. First is, become a follower of Jesus and gain freedom from destructive desires. If you have not yet decided to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you want Him to direct you and, and save you from your sin. That, this is really, this is the essential first step. And if, you would, if you'd like to do that, or if you'd like to learn more about what that is, you can mark on your connection card, um, I'd like to talk more about following Jesus. Another next step might be to memorize a verse to help me battle anger. For me, Proverbs 29, 11 was very helpful. There's, there happens to be a lot of verses about anger in the Bible, so you can pick another one. Uh, memorize a verse is the next step. Also, begin praying for God's help with self-control, doing good, and not retaliating. Maybe you just make a, a decision regularly to pray each morning. I'm just, Lord, would you just help me today and tomorrow and then the next day? I'll pray for his help. And then put on compassion and forgiveness toward a person. And if you're needing to begin looking through the situation through their eyes and be compassionate, maybe just write their name on your paper or just later this week, begin to meditate on how, Lord, you can help me. He can help us with that. So ask God to help you work through the anger to the point where you can maybe even pinpoint where you went wrong, clear it up with God, and, and any others that may have been offended in the process. We're going to look at some other emotions in the coming Sundays, such as sadness and depression, also fear and anxiety. On a small scale, these, you know, any of these could be really, they could, they could be disruptive. They can go from disruptive to life-dominating. Any of these could be life-dominating. And so we're going to look at what triggers these other emotions? What is the damage that happens when they're unchecked? And most importantly, how do we rightly handle each emotion that we feel? How can we say, pray, obey, and work to get self-control? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and your word and your guidance. Thank you for the Holy Spirit's work in our lives to help us transition from uh, being slaves and just dragged around by our de desires and emotions to people that are restraint and that have restraint and self-control. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, for freeing us from the destructiveness of sin. And we thank you so much for um, the coming Easter Sunday. We'll be able to uh, really acknowledge and celebrate your resurrection and the power that we can have because of that. Uh, would you continue to work in our lives, help us to find courage and obedience this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.